Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Down. So happy to be here with you today. Hey, the music in the background is from our good friend, Mr. Ryan O'Neill, also known as Sleeping at Last. This is the Enneagram 7 song carrying over from our Ennea Summer episodes. I hope you guys enjoyed those. Thank you for sharing them with your friends. And make sure you check out all of Ryan's music. It is so, so good. Today on the show is just an this is going to sound cheesy, but this is someone I find super inspiring and just kind of a hero in our current climate and faith culture, uh, Heather Avis. I don't know if you've met Heather before. She's an incredibly popular Instagrammer, incredibly popular author. She has her own podcast as well. Her first book is called The Lucky Few. And then her new book that just came out a couple of weeks ago is called Scoot Over and Make Some Room creating a space where everyone belongs. Heather is a wife and mother of three adopted children, two of the three uh, being children with Down syndrome. I just think she has an incredibly interesting story. And this new book, Scoot Over and Make Some Room, is really powerful. I like Heather a ton and was really excited to get to have her on the show. So without any delay, here is my conversation with my friend Heather Avis. Heather, the last time we were in the same place, was that Q women? Like an eternity ago. Is that true? Could it have been that long ago? Probably. I think maybe we were in the same space for a Q conference a couple years later, but but it was a large space and maybe we didn't see each other. I'm sorry to hear that. I know. And you want to know something? That's funny. So that was my very first paid speaking gig that felt legit. Oh my gosh. And I was freaking out. Like when they asked me to come, I was freaking out. Really? And then there was this honorarium that I'm uh-huh. not going to say the number. It wasn't a lot, but I was at the time, whoa, freaking out. Right. And a gift bag in my hotel room. I'm like this is how, <laughs> this is how speakers live. Did that feel you. like the next level? Like when there was a gift oh bag, uh, when they've already checked into your hotel room for you and there's a gift <laughs> yeah. bag there that is like next level. It is next level. And I called my husband. And I said, if I ever get to a point in my career where I don't appreciate my gift bag in my hotel room, then you're going to need to like hit me or something. Because- so what does appreciate look like? Does appreciate mean you take home every single thing that's in the gift bag? Or does appreciate just mean like, I am really grateful that this exists? It depends what's in the gift bag. Uh-huh. I mean, okay, getting now we're getting tricked. Now, now I'm a jerk. <laughs> now I'm a jerk. No, because no, you're not, girl. And then you do get to a point where you hear people who get a bunch of free stuff all the time. It's like I've got all this free stuff, but I usually bring things home and I give it to my kids as a gift or like to yeah. friends. I like to distribute things. Yes, but I I have a lot of water bottles and that's definitely oh, no longer. How many mugs in, do you have? Mugs and water bottles are no longer that's in need. Nice. I love getting mugs. Yeah. Um, do you know the the trick is that I can always tell when an event has thought about this or not. The trick is if I'm there for one day, if I've come in and I'm speaking on a Friday night and I leave Saturday afternoon, my suitcase isn't big. Right. And so if they put in there like, here is a basket that yeah. is made of homemade wood from our neighborhood. <laughs> But it's like eight by four. It's not happening. Like, what am I supposed to do? I can't get it home. (laughs) That is hilarious. Yes. I haven't had gifts that big, but sometimes you get a ton of books, which I love to get Uh books. But then it's like, oh man, I have this carry on. It's so heavy. Yes. And then it's all bratty. Like when yeah. you get to no, the no, point, no, no, it's, not bratty. it's so real. I mean, it's people are so <laughs> generous, but also we only have so much space. Yeah. 
Yeah. A lot of conferences that any of us can attend. If you pay to attend a conference, you better make space in your suitcase to bring home books because they are going to give you some when you get there. You're going to want to buy some after you hear the speakers. You just need to prepare for an extra like eight pounds, whichever way your suitcase is going. Exactly. Bring it. Make sure you got a roller bag because you do not need that on your shoulder. Tell me about how. uh, Listen. Let me tell you, I've had to switch to a backpack because yeah. one of my shoulders was getting so tired. <laughs> From all the slag. <laughs> yes, I just was like, I can't do it. My one, my left shoulder is begging for a partner. And so I've, I've got to turn it to both. So tell me about the first time you got paid to speak. I mean, I know, what did it feel like when that was like, did it just feel real? Did it did it change something about your presentation? Yeah. Well, I feel like Q is a big deal. It's not some like little conference. And so to be asked to speak for Q women, it felt huge. And then uh-huh. it's the, the way that Q conference goes is it's timed. So you have to... Yeah. You either do three, nine or 18 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a nine minute talk and I... So it was memorized. Mm-hmm. And I have a friend of mine who's an incredibly talented speaker. So... Yeah. More prep went into this talk than I put into any talk ever to that talk. Wow. And I think more so because of the timer, but I practice yeah. it in front of people. She like coached me through it yep. and I was nervous as all get out. It was you did right not look after. It, by the way, you oh, were God. so great that day. Oh gosh. I was so nervous. And it was right before I, I had just signed for my first book, a book deal. Yeah. So then my the main editor from my publisher showed up. And I'm like, like literally just to support me. I'm like, oh my gosh, what's <laughs> happening? So it was a, you know, like it was like a moment where everything was changing. And then on the other side of things, like everything's still the same. Yep. Does that make yes, sense? Yes, totally. Know? Yeah. But yeah. It is this, um, there are always firsts that you should really choose to remember. You know, like mm-hmm. the first time you get paid to speak, the first time. And I, I just had a friend last night who texted me and said, I just got a book offer from a publisher. And yeah. I was like, whether you take this or not, this is a huge deal. Like it's a huge, it's deal. a huge deal when it's the first of something. It's a huge deal every time yeah. for a lot of things. But I just think I, I remember the first time I got paid to speak to. And I remember the first time anyone asked me to speak at all. And they asked me to speak for 10 minutes and I went 30. What is wrong with oh, me? Oh no. What is wrong with me? <laughs> um, what, where did you, what was your first paid speaking gig? Uh, my first paid speaking gig was a, a youth retreat. And I just remember being like, oh, they're like going to write me a check when we're done here. That's right. crazy. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's just, and it never, it has never gotten commonplace to me that this gets to be my job, but there is something about the first time and the, the first time there are different levels of first times in this job, but the first time you're in front of a certain amount of people, because after once oh. it, to me, tell me if this feels the same to you, but to me, once a crowd is about a couple of thousand people. I don't know if it's 2,000 or 9,000 or 15,000. Yeah, I've not spoken in front of very many large crowds, but I get, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, the math gets, there's a, like, you can know the difference between 50 and 200. It's much harder to know the difference between 2,000 and 5,000. Totally. And I don't know how you feel about this either, but if I'm giving a talk, like I've got 30 minutes to give a talk or 60 minutes or whatever to give a keynote, I'm prepping. I'm very nervous. I feel very nervous on stage. If I'm being interviewed, I will, without even prepping, if they're like, we're going to interview you tomorrow in front of 10,000 people, no problem. <laughs> really? You feel like that? Yeah. Like, <gasps> great. Bring it on. Heather, that's I have hilarious. no problem. But if it's just you on that stage, you're ready. Yeah. Why does it feel different? I feel like I'm good in conversations. When people ask me questions, I can give answers. Like I'm yeah. really opinionated. Yeah. So what's your number? You knew I was going to ask you this. 
I knew. And I was actually listening this morning to your Enneagram, the Enneagram podcast for Enneagram two. I'm a two. Okay. What's your husband? A two. <gasps> what? Y'all are both twos? So then we adopt all the helping, kids. Helping, helping, helping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you're like, we need to adopt more children because we have to help and love and help and love. Help and love and help and love. No, we are okay. twos. My husband thinks that I might be an eight. I have a couple of friends who are like, I'm pretty sure an eight. I for sure I'm not an eight. I, I love eights. So I have no problem with an eight. Yeah. Um, but twos go to eight in stress. But here's the thing with that. You can function healthy in those spaces if you yeah. know how to do that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Which is what I'm working on. I feel like I live in um, the career that I've stepped into of advocacy. It pushes me to that eight zone. Yeah, talk about that. How come? Why does it do that to you? Well, so an eight's a challenger. And so um, I think when you are advocating for a group of people who are marginalized, you're challenging the system norms. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm doing. So when people see me on my platform or hear me talk passionately about inclusion or about um, making space for my kids and for people with different abilities or people who are are missing in your spaces, I'm challenging a a system. I'm challenging a social norm. And I think that then it gets looked at like, oh, she's, that's more like an eight. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that I go there in a way that seems like it's natural to me because it's it's where twos go when they're in a high stress space and the work of an advocate is more stress work. Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense? Like it pushes, pushes you into yeah, that zone. Absolutely. So then my goal has been to, how can I be a healthy eight when I'm in a stressful space? Have you always been this advocate kind of personality? Like when you were little, were you like, has this always been in you in some way or another? Yes. I definitely, even through college was a little more quiet in mm. a space. Like I felt really insecure in a lot of in myself and in the things that I was passionate about or just in me, I I was an insecure person. Mm. And so, but I can look back to my childhood and I had always had a heart that broke for the underdog and like felt very justice oriented in that. Yeah. Like my parents talked, tell me when I was real little, I would be like praying for the starving children in Ethiopia. They're like, where did that come from? You know, and that just burdened my heart. I was so burdened by homelessness when I was a child. Have you and Jess Connolly talked about this? Because do you know this is true about her daughter, Glory, too? Oh, no. Uh-uh. Like Glory, like, has a massive care for homeless people. And Jess and it's and Jess and Nick, like, haven't forced that. Like, they have watched her care so much about homeless people. And I'm like, what is God going to do with her as a grown-up? How funny. That's yeah, so we haven't talked about that. But yeah, that was me as a kid. And then I think as um, things have been unfolded in my life and my kids have come into my life and um, there's just been a lot of layers shed from my eyes and an understanding of stewarding well what I have yeah. platforms have been handed to me in certain spaces and so I'm gonna I'm gonna steward that well so I think that I've had to learn how to step into my advocacy with confidence and boldness mm. you know I'm 37 years old I think finally in my 30s I realize I know nothing and I think it's better to know nothing when you step into spaces. Does that make sense? Like in my 20s, I knew everything. I I know so much less than I knew in my 20s. It's shocking to me. And in my 30s, yeah, I know nothing. And so when I step in my role as an advocate, it's like, okay, I do it with some humility and understanding that I've got a lot to learn. So the things that I say feel more important. Does that make sense? Rather than just like, I know everything and you know nothing. Yeah. And so I think that's- I mean, if someone would have given me permission to do my job now when I was 24, I would have blown the whole thing up. For sure. Because I knew so much. I just knew everything. 
when yep. I was 24. Yep. And so I would have done just such a great job of saying very strong opinion things. Yes. Yeah. And I that's feel like it. the older you get. I mean, does that mean when we're like 90, we're going to literally know nothing? Yes. In yeah. the best kind of way. In the best kind <laughs> of way. I think you're right. Um, tell me how you and Josh met. We technically met when I was 13. Bless. Get it, girl. I know. And he's a little older. He was friends with my older sister. Okay. So they met when he was a freshman and she was a sophomore on the bus. Okay. And riding the bus in our, the city we grew up in was very dorky. Uh-huh. And so as soon as my sister got her driver's license, he got her to drive her him to school. Okay. And then he was at our house all the time with his best friend. And I was little, little old me with a big old crush on Joshua Avis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've actually been together since my senior year of high school though. Okay. But so, I mean, you started crushing at 13. I was crushing hard at 13. Wow. Isn't that crazy? I know. Yeah. And then it just wasn't for another five years, four years before y'all dated. Did you date other people? I mean, date. It's ninth grade. but still. I know. Exactly. <laughs> so let's be real here. I still uh, believe in it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, it's a real relationship. I trust you. Sure. We dated a couple of times for a couple months at a time, like on mm-hmm. and off during those few years. Yeah. And then we actually, in a couple of days, we'll celebrate 17 years of marriage. Oh my gosh. Y'all got married while you were still in college or college age. Yeah. Yep. We were yeah. little babes. That is awesome. What do you know now about marriage that you didn't know in the first five years? Okay, so this is interesting because we we didn't know anything about Enneagram when we got married 20 years ago right. or 17 years ago, but we're both twos on the Enneagram. Yeah. And so it was basically like a first couple of years of like, let me help you, just constantly one-upping each other and helping. Um, and I just thought that's how all marriages worked. I thought, of course you are going to try to beat the other person to doing to emptying the dishwasher because that's uh-huh. what we do. We serve each other because uh-huh. that's both what we did. <laughs> and then we didn't have a ton of conflict in our marriage in the beginning and we still don't, but there was a part of me that felt like we should. Um, right. Because it, I mean, I'm not married yet, but there's all these yeah. conversations about how hard it is. So you think right. when you aren't doing it, well, yeah, there's going to be fun parts, but mostly it's just incredibly hard. <laughs> yes, exactly. And we just haven't had a hard marriage. And I think for in the beginning, that felt conflicting, like something's wrong, something's wrong. And I think oh, now like there's something I don't know, <laughs> right. something I don't know. Yeah. Right. Or like, are we being like, where's our unhealth? Are we being truthful yeah. to each other? And I think that now 17 years in, it's like, no, our marriage is uniquely ours. And yeah. we're continuing to challenge each other to be our best versions of ourselves. And we're still getting along pretty well. Like that's good. You know, yeah. <laughs> we, can, yeah. we can embrace that and not think that it's some weird red flag. And also it was before you had adopted your kids. And so the, there has to be something in your head about the Lord knew, the Lord knew what kind of children you'd have. So he gave y'all the temperament together that you needed to run your household with love. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And, you know, it is 2019, but there's still a lot of like gender roles and norms within marriages. And I think especially in the church and in the sense that like a woman stays home, raises her kid and yeah. the the man goes to work and we've just always been partners in all the things. And so like our kids are high needs in a lot of ways. And if I didn't have him as like a, we are both 100% parenting. Yeah. I couldn't do it. There's no way. And he's so great about it. And it doesn't make him a hero. I think our culture is like, Oh, he's a hero for that. Yeah. It just is. It's how it should be. It's how it works for us. A friend of mine came on the show for father's day and his name's Kevin Madsen. And Kevin was like, I mean, being a dad is not worth getting a reward for. 
And he was like, but right. the, uh, the truth about, and, and I thought this was so beautiful. He was like, I'll tell you what lives in me. I want to be rewarded when I do normal dad stuff hmm. mm-hmm. because culture tells me I should be rewarded, mm-hmm. but I don't need to be rewarded because I'm just doing normal dad stuff. They have a whole podcast called Hey Dad. That's super good, Heather. But oh, cool. Okay. it's that same mindset of like, this is who she's supposed to be. And this is who's, who he is supposed to be. And anything more than that from either of them deserves to be rewarded. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. How did y'all get your minds out of that? How did you, I mean, at 20 years old, when you get married, how old were y'all when you adopted the first kid? Um, I was 27 when our oldest daughter came home and we had been trying for three years to get pregnant prior to her coming home. So I don't know. So how did y'all break out of those cultural norms? I mean, I don't, how'd you do that at 27? I'm not totally sure. I think I I attribute quite. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, who can know, Annie? Who can know? Um, I attribute a lot to my dad. My dad was really helpful as a dad and like showed up. Yeah. And yeah. my mom did stay home full time and I have two sisters and with the three of us, but my dad did dishes and cooked meals and did laundry. And, you know, like I, he did, he was super helpful and all that. So maybe, yeah. I don't know. I've not really thought this through. I don't know how we broke out of it. <laughs> Sorry, you know, Annie, please delete all of it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, re- we'll revisit it. It's I will. so interesting. Cause I think, you know, when I think about myself getting married and having a family at some point, you know, we'll be in our thirties when it happens. So there is just a little more of like, Hey, here's how I've always done my life. How have you always done your life? And how do we put this together? And what is that going to look like as far as who does what in the home? But when you get married at 20, you haven't really had a home outside of what you grew up in and what you're creating with your husband. Yeah, for sure. And I, I write about this in my new book, but part of it is I did, it's been like, as we grow is humans, we learn, hopefully, right? We're constantly mm-hmm. learning and changing. Mm-hmm. And I definitely, it was, I will be a stay-at-home mom when we have kids because it is the best and right thing to do. And yeah. that's why I'm going to do it. And and luckily I want to, but my yeah. friends who chose to work in those early years, I was very judgmental in my heart towards them. Like, especially if they were Christians, like how- And if their kids went to daycare or something? Yeah. Daycare was like a four letter word in my heart. Like this is not something you do with your kids. And so then I, and I'm around a bunch of moms who feel the same way, you know? And then as I'm, as I have more kids into my life and as we move and we meet new people and I'm surrounded now by women who work and choose to work and love Jesus, you know, and like some of them need the money. Some are single income. Some are the main breadwinner. Some of them don't need the money at all. They just want to work. And so realizing just through exposure and proximity and relationship. Like, oh, I was very, I might, in my opinion now, very wrong in my thinking. And so I think that it's also just been an unfolding for me of constantly learning. And, and so I guess that, I don't know, we'd have to go back and look at Josh and me when we were 20. Well, yeah, I'm just kind of interested. Like I'm thinking about our friends who are listening that are like moms who are working through some of the things you're talking about that maybe because of things culture is saying, it's raising conversations in homes between husbands and wives of like, yeah, what what else could we look like besides what Leave It to Beaver said we look like as a yeah. husband and wife? So talk to those women and men that are listening that are starting those conversations. How have you and Josh had those in healthy ways as your ideas change? Yeah, well, I think and I'll like put this as the foundation for that, talking about this. I attribute a lot of my 
um, the way that I view the world because of the kids I'm raising. So my oldest is 11 with Down syndrome and my youngest is five and has Down syndrome. And then my middle daughter is eight. She has no different abilities, but my husband and I are both Caucasian and she's African-American and Guatemalan. So we're raising these three kids who are in a lot of different ways, um, find themselves in the margins. Yeah. And really with my kids with Down syndrome, they approach the world in such a different way. And so what I've learned through being their mom is how awesome our differences are and not to fight against those, but rather to embrace them and learn from them. So when I see a couple or I see a mom navigating the world differently and granted, as long as it's healthy for people involved, right? Right. Right. Um, Right. I mean, that's why it has to be a conversation, right? Versus just one partner storming into the home and changing the system. Totally, totally. And so I think that that allows my husband and I both, because of raising our kids and the way that the lenses that we see the world through because of them, Mm -hmm. it helps us both to really be good with embracing doing things differently and to being open to being flexible and um, trying to keep the conversation going. So there's not a lot of hard, fast rules for us. There's a lot of gray and blurry and learning. And and I think that's a huge, a huge piece of it. And what do you do? What do you feel when Josh comes home and he has some something he's learned or something he's thinking and it really either scares you or rubs you the wrong way or feels like, oh gosh, he's really wrong on this? What what's the next move after that? You know, I still am very immature in a lot of my life. And so I think my initial is always to be like a, a little bit aggressive against it. And I <laughs> yeah. don't I don't ride away. Yeah. Exactly. I don't right away sit and and listen um, or try to try to hear it, but I definitely do get to that spot. Like I talk about how we have to sit in the tension of things and that we live in a culture that teaches us to avoid it. And I know that you're a seven on the Enneagram, so sitting in the tension is not a favorite, but I don't think it's a favorite for most people. Nothing I like to run from more than a little tension and pain. Seriously. (laughs) But I don't think anyone really loves it, you know? And that's right. And I think our unwillingness to sit in tense spaces where we have disagreements, it just causes so much friction. And I think that it is super helpful when Josh approached me with something like that, where my knee jerk reaction is like, no, or defensiveness. Mm. It's like, okay, I need to just sit in this for a little bit and think about it some more. And I might still have the same reaction, but I know that I'm reacting from a place that's a little more healthy than just my knee jerk, you know? And if my knee-jerk reaction is negative towards something, then there's probably a lack of understanding that I have. And I've probably got some learning to do in that area too. Hey friends, just interrupting this conversation real quick to tell you about our friends over at Brewmade. I don't know if you are an alcohol drinker, if you like beer, wine, or spirits, but if you are, this is one of the coolest products that I think you guys are really going to like. Brewmate's stylish insulated drinkware is designed to keep your favorite beverages ice cold all day long. No matter what it is, Brewmate makes sure every sip is the perfect temperature. You guys know this about me. I keep a koozie with me all the time. And so I am a huge fan of having my drink 
my LaCroix or whatever at the perfect temperature. And that is what you get with Brewmate products as well. Okay, so the Brewmate product that I love is the wine insulator. If it's a full bottle of wine and includes a silicone funnel for easy transferring, it's a great way to bring your wine on the go to picnics or to dinners with your friends, maybe some a Sabbath meal with your people. And it's a great way without to take it with you without worrying about keeping it chilled. So there's no more broken bottle or places where you aren't allowed to bring glass. And the large insulated wine glasses come with a splash proof lid and there's over 30 colors available. Like I said, the one I absolutely love, the one that I have is marble. It is beautiful. And you guys know I love sparkles and I love champagne and the insulated champagne flute is the largest one in the world. It fits 12 ounces and it is so cool. I also got it in the marble because y'all know me, I'm just a little bit bougie. And so it features a drink through flip top lib that holds in the carbonation and keeps your bubbly ice cold and carbonated up to five times longer than the competition. And listen, if you don't think I'm putting LaCroix in there too, you do not know me, friends. You know I'm putting LaCroix in there as well. So you guys don't settle for your drinks being too warm, whether it's beer, wine, or spirits or something else. Chill out with your favorite drinks all day long with Brewmate. So if you guys go visit brewmate.com, and I want to spell it for you because it's not exactly as it sounds. It's B-R-U-M-A-T-E. So go to B-R-U-M-A-T-E.com and add the code SOUNDSFUN and you get 15% off your first order. Again, that's 15% off your first order when you go to B-R-U-M-A-T-E dot com and add the code sounds fun. So thanks to Brewmate for sponsoring the show. We are glad to know you. So make sure you guys go and check them out. And now back to the show. I had coffee with a friend today and we were talking about this. And I said, you know, it feels like if I have if I've learned one big thing in my journey of like mental, emotional health in the last five years. It has been that allowing mystery to exist and allowing time to tell you things is actually one of the biggest gifts that God gives us. Totally. Yeah. I love that. Have you seen that true when you're raising your kids too? Definitely. Oh gosh. It is just a giant mystery (laughs) with a lot lot of waiting and patience and time passing. Yeah. Um, Tell me the difference between, so your first book, The Lucky Few, kind of tells your family story. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So I say my first book is a memoir and my second book is more of a manifesto. Yeah. I was about to say, this one reads like, y'all better sit down and hit, listen to some things that you've been doing. Yeah. Scoot over it's and little, make some room. I like that title. Thanks, girl. It's a little bossy. <laughs> so, no, I like it. I super like it. So it. So the way we should do it is we should read The Lucky Few if we already have it on a bookshelf, if we haven't gotten it, grab that one. And then Scoot Over and Make Room just came out June 25th, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what pushed you a sweet Enneagram two to write a <laughs> manifesto kind of book like this? Oh gosh. So I really love my kids. There's that. And I definitely have a mama bearing me and mm-hmm. the, it is just a fact and a truth that the systems in place do not work for my kids to function as they are. How old are they now? My oldest is 11. Okay. Um, my middle and is eight. Down and my, syndrome. Yeah. And the youngest has down syndrome. Yeah. And he's five. Okay. So my daughter, my 11 year old's going into fifth grade. Okay. Um, my five year old's into kindergarten. I know. Oh my gosh. You're going to have, when school starts, you're going to have some free time. Yes. This is, my son was in TK last year. So okay. it, we've had a, a sweet taste yeah. of, of that free time. I guess this is the only year they'll all be in the same school too. Yes. Well, my middle daughter goes to a different school. It's all very complicated ah. and layered, but she's in a Spanish dual immersion program that our oh, local school cool. doesn't have. So she's at a charter school. 
um, and is fluent in Spanish. So that's amazing. Oh, that's really fun. Okay. This is okay, an interesting yeah. thing. My parents were really good at as well. So I'd love for you to speak into it. If How did you decide to um, parent your children so individually? How do you know what's right for each of them? Oh gosh, they're so different. <laughs> um, and I, that's just kind of what we have to do. And I, I guess it's a good question. I guess that the fact that our middle daughter is the only person in the family who doesn't have Down syndrome or the only child mm-hmm. who doesn't have Down syndrome and the only child in the family with brown skin and she's the only child in the family who doesn't know her birth family. Like there's all these layers oh, wow. where okay. I'm hyper aware of her, well, her needs, maybe because I'm a two, but I'm her mom. Mm-hmm. So I'm hyper aware of that. And the ways I'm just like aware of, we got to navigate this in a way that yeah. is super intentional. Right. Um, and then my other kids who have Down syndrome, there's just a lot of needs there and it just comes to the territory. Right. So, and they're both so different. So that's kind of how that's worked, but we're really intentional with Truly. And one of the main reasons that we chose to put her in the charter school, it's a great program, but also there's a lot of kids at the school who look like her. Mm. and we were in a neighborhood that was pretty diverse ethnically and then we moved a year ago to a neighborhood that's less so so we need to know that she's spending a decent amount of her day with people who look like her okay and so that was a huge decision for the school so what happens if someone one of our friends listening lives in a neighborhood where everybody looks like them but one of their children just like your family but they can't put them in a different school or they can't, you know, that isn't an option. How, how else would you get around people that help your child feel included? Well, if you can't get around actual people, um, and this goes for disability too, you, and this, this goes for anyone raising a kid that we should be striving to raise our kids in a diverse setting in terms of ability and race and all the things, Mm -hmm. because especially if we love the Lord, because if we want to know the fullness of God, then we've got to know the fullness of his creation and humanity. And if we're around people who are just like us, then we're missing out on a huge piece of who God is. And we don't even realize it. Girl, preach that. So, Come on. Yeah, it's so true. And you can start with books, make sure that the books on your kids' bookshelves are diverse and inclusive mm. and that you've got plenty of books and you watch shows and you look at things on media where the hero is a person of color or the hero is a person with a disability. That's easy, you know, so easy and makes a big impact. And then I think if you're raising a kid who's a different ethnicity than you, you've got to be incredibly intentional to find somebody who looks Mm -hmm. like them and invest in a relationship Mm -hmm. with that person and invite them over for dinner and learn from them and get to know them. And then use social media as a, as a tool. We've got this tool, social media. Who are you following on Instagram? You know, like there's so many people that we can learn from. What books are you reading? Are you reading books written by people of color? So use the tools that are easily available. And then you got to be intentional. It's hard work. Yeah, it's just an extra um, layer of life to add the work of, whether it's my life as a single woman or your life as a family, it is an extra layer of work to get to know people who look different than us in a lot of ways in racially or, or with disabilities or in socioeconomic group, but it is the work of understanding the fullness of the kingdom of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think there's more opportunities out there than people realize Mm -hmm. you just got to look, you know, I think like the first step 
is noticing who's missing, like who's missing in my day to day. And once you recognize that, then I think you're more aware of who's around you and who's not. And like finding the people who can help you become a better human once you're in proximity and in relationship with them. And then help you understand the fullness of God. Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds like I interrupted you while you were explaining, but that sounds like why you wrote scoot over and make some room. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We can go back, back to that. I mean, um, it's on me. I just have, I like to know every detail of why you're doing what you're doing, Heather. I just think that I, love I, you, that. I want you to teach me everything. And so I'm asking every <laughs> detailed question that I should probably a better interview would be like, mm-hmm, tell me what's next. And I'm like, wait, stop. Oh, tell no, me I right can't. there. <laughs> That's so good. Um, So yes, my life is so much richer because I'm in community with people who are different than me and because I have these kids with Down syndrome. Mm. And so there is a narrative shift that needs to take place for the Down syndrome community, for people with disabilities, and it needs to happen now and not just for them, but for the sake of humanity to be a better, Mm. like for us to be better human beings. And so that's what this book is. It's like, hey, friends, you can't know what you don't know. So let me shed some light that the systems in place right now don't work in favor of any of my kids. And when they step outside my front door, they're stepping into a world that continues to question their worth. And what I've learned is that they're unbelievable. They have so much to offer the world. They have so much to offer in terms of like spiritual gifts. They have so much to offer the church. And we're functioning in systems that continue to segregate and push aside and only see the disabilities and not see the assets. So that's, yeah, it's a, it's a message to the world. I'm, and it, it is a little bit bossy, but I, I'm hoping that it's also incredibly hopeful. Yeah. You know, I think that now more than ever, um, in America, at least it, everything feels real divided mm-hmm. and there seems to be some real brokenness that's coming to the surface more than ever. And I think um, being in community with people who are different than us and specifically people who have disabilities, is just going to offer a lot of hope and a lot of healing. Did you notice the system not working for other people before you were raising your kids? Was that, was it something that had already caught your eye and that just came into real clear vision or was it as you started like, yes, okay. It was already there in you. Well, yeah. And like I was saying earlier, you know, when I was a kid, like I was so burdened by homelessness, Mm -hmm. it was like, something's not right here, Mm -hmm. you know? And I feel like I, when I was in college, I was a part of a group called InterVarsity. InterVarsity. I love InterVarsity. Right. Yeah. They're real big on racial issues and racial injustice and racial reconciliation. So I learned a lot in my in college for sure in those spaces. But it's I think of advocacy, the option to opt out of being an advocate is a real privilege. Oh, okay. Okay, hold on, hold on. The option to opt yeah. out. Say it again. Okay. The option to opt out of being an advocate is a real privilege. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah. And people right. who get to choose to not advocate. They, there's a lot of privileges happening around those people. And I'm the, I'm one, I was one of those people. And then I have kids. It's not an option for me anymore. Um, it's not an option for people of color to not advocate mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. themselves and their community, you know? So that's, I forget the initial question, Annie. We no, just, I, I know. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just stirring you up, Heather. That's what's happening. I'm just stirring you good, up. Good. Yeah, but no, um, my question was, what did was it before you had kids that you noticed? Oh, this, but you totally answered that, yeah. Yeah. 
<clears throat> yeah. I so. mean, that is a funny thing. I, this is not everyone's going to love me saying this, but I, a conversation I, I just had with some college students is we were all sitting around and they were asking me about calling and they were telling me how stressed they felt about mm. how call about figuring out what they're called to and what God has for them. And I said, um, this is an incredibly privileged conversation yes. <laughs> because there are a lot of communities and a lot of people that when they pray and when they stress, it's about how they're going to feed their children or how mm-hmm. to keep their family safe. Mm-hmm. We are praying and stressing about why God has us on the planet. Right. Now, it doesn't mean well, we should ever feel shame about it because we did not control this. I did not pick my skin color. Sure. So sure. I didn't control this. But can I use what God has given me to give privilege to others? Oh, and to absolutely. give and, and fairness to others. But it is that same, like, once the, once the privilege conversation got loud around me, I started going, okay, I want to have my eyes open. And it is everywhere where I mm-hmm. am as an Annie F. Downs am incredibly privileged. Yeah, totally. And yeah, I am incredibly privileged in my space too. And I think that that's the, that's like step one is knowing that like seeing it and acknowledging it mm-hmm. is step one. And it's a really important step. And I think people get real defensive instead, but it's like, oh no, that, and the whole idea like scoot over, like you are in most people who are listening to this, most people who are going to read the book are in spaces where they are taking up all of the space and they had no idea because of the way in which the world works in their favor. You know, like the reality is when my kids, all three of them step into the world, the systems that already exist do not work in their favor Mm. and they do work in my favor and neither of us are doing anything for that to be the case. It's just happening already, you know, and we got to be aware of that. And we got to, and then we need to fight it in the ways that we can. And that's going to look different for everybody. Yeah. Um, One of my favorite quotes in your book, if we make space in our lives for certain kinds of people, but not others, we will never know the fullness of God or understand the depths of God's love for humanity. Yeah. It's good. You are good. It's very good. I believe that. (laughs) I still believe it. Are you friends with Shannon Martin? I'm not. Mm -mm. Okay. Shannon and you have uh, similar lives. I would love to connect y'all. I think y'all would really yeah, like I'd each other. But, but she's someone, the two of y'all are women that I watch your lives from a distance as we all do creepily now in 2019. And I just feel <laughs> like, man, y'all, y'all aren't just telling me what to do. Like if there was no internet and people did not write books, your lives would still look like this. Mm, yeah. You would still be doing this work. You would still live in the neighborhood you live in. You would still have the kids that you have. And you would still be serving and and doing locally what we get to see you do, which is one of the reasons I'm grateful for the internet, but also why I, why I love keeping up with y'all because I feel like you're really doing it. Oh wow, that's a, yeah, that's a kind thing to say. And and I think for me, it definitely, I really feel and I mean it, just super grateful that my life unfolded the way it has because I I really get to do it. You know, I get to live this life. You know, and it's something that for a long time I probably would have wanted to avoid on paper, like seeing my family on paper Mm. in my twenties, my early twenties, I would have thought this is not the thing that I want. This is too hard. Are you disappointed? You never had your own children. Oh, I'm, that's a great question to ask. I have no problem talking about that. Um, no, not at all. To the point that we haven't been like, we can't have kids naturally. Yeah. And we've done nothing to try to avoid that happening for 15 years. And we are so content with only having three kids or only adopting that my husband's getting a vasectomy. Man, that just, I I think that says there are so many of us who want things that we don't have. Mm -hmm. And at some point 
it sounds like you and Josh just went, actually, we have, we have it. It doesn't look the way we thought, but we have it. Yeah. And it's that idea. I think it's the tagline from one of my, for my first book, I think I should know, but it's that idea of like embracing the unexpected, which is what my kids have taught me over and over. And so when I talk about the fact that we have the family we have, I talk about it like I was on this path towards what I thought I wanted in life. And I, and I say, God, like drop kicked me into the mud because mm. it felt abrupt and it felt hard and it hurt. Um, but then there's another side of things and you get to the other side and you're like, whoa, I didn't realize that this space here that I was missing out on and I would have missed out on if not for the grace of God pushing me here uh-huh. or forcing me into it. It's incredible. Mm. And what a gift. And our tagline in the name of our business is a lucky few. And I really mean that. I feel so unbelievably lucky. Yeah. Or some Christians hate that word. They I, want to say blessed. Not but. me. I like it. I'm <laughs> down with it. So I feel so unbelievably lucky that I get to parent my kids. And that doesn't mean it's easy. And it's not like rainbows and unicorns. It's so hard. But I just feel like I do have this understanding of who God is. And I have a better understanding of what it means to really love people because of my kids. Otherwise, I would be on my nice, sweet, easy path living in my bubble with all the privileges, totally oblivious yeah. to this other world around me. So I'm super grateful that unfolded the way it has. Man, that is, yeah, that is really special. I think it is, it's so important because there's so many of us who our lives all look incredibly different, but we could all say the sentence, this isn't what I thought my life would look like. Yeah. And then you get to put a comma and either go, and it's the worst, or it's fine, or it's the best, or I'm learning, or however you would finish the second half of that yeah. sentence. So how would you finish the second half of that sentence? My life does not look the way I thought it would, comma. And it's the best. And it's, and, best. And it's better than anything I could have made mm. or dreamt up or yeah. imagined. It's just it's just so good. And I think it's because of the like the like some of the details in my life, but the bigger picture, it's a real honor and privilege to get to raise kids who have different abilities yeah. and it's, it's hard as hell sometimes, but when it's done, tell me what makes it hard. What makes it hard is not that they have down syndrome necessarily. It's that they don't get to be fully themselves in the world that we live in. Mm. The world does not embrace them. Uh, um, okay. The world makes it hard. So what makes it hard is when we step into a school that the school wants to put them in a separate place because they learn differently or because they don't, know as much as their neurotypical peers um, or because they behave differently. Mm. And we're trying to say, no, they actually deserve to learn alongside their peers. You know, mm. if, if we stepped into school systems and they're like, oh my gosh, we're so happy your kid is here. We see them as a value and an asset. We see all that they're able to do. We have all the support that they need in place. Great. Easy peasy, mm. you know? Mm. Um, and that goes for the church. That goes for extracurricular. Yeah. That goes for the park. That goes for the grocery. Every space we step into the world is seeing my kids and their deficits. And I'm saying, no, 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 no. You need to see them as an asset. Yes. Tell me what that's been like in churches. Churches are interesting. Just the church is interesting, right, Annie? It's an interesting, (laughs) an interesting place. (laughs) We love it. Um, (laughs) So it looks similar to schools, except you don't have to go to church. Um, I think a lot of people in the disability community, I don't think I know. um, They stopped going to church once their children came into the world because it was just too hard. So the church has a real opportunity here to, by creating space for people with disabilities in their congregations to be full members mm-hmm. and not to be in a separate class or a separate program yeah. 
to really get to know the fullness of God. And if you are in a church that doesn't have people with disabilities in it, then you're missing out. We're missing out. Mm. Um, or if those people are just like allowed to be there and not fully embraced right. as people who have spiritual gifts, you know, as people that need to be fostered, as people who can offer a piece of who God is to the congregation, to the members in the church. So we've done church at a large, a really large church with our kids that they did a good job. And we're now at a very, very small church Mm -hmm. and our kids are fully embraced as they are. And it looks like, Hey, this was really hard today for Mason. Uh, What, how do we change? How do we shift? It's a constant shifting, a constant changing. It's the idea of like, Oh, so we're going to ask a hundred people to shift so that your daughter can be successful? And the answer is yes, that's what we're going to do, you know? And so the church needs to say, oh, so we're going to do, well, these a thousand people are uncomfortable because this one person behaves this way. Yeah. Yeah. Then those thousand people are going to be uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) You know? And so they're no longer uncomfortable. Like we're not going to take that one person out of the equation. I'm thinking about my friends who are listening that it's like, Friday and it's their day off because they're a children's pastor or a youth pastor or, you know, a senior pastor. What's a step they can do next week? What's something they can do that would make the disabled community feel more welcome at their church? Well, it depends if they're already there or not. If they're not there, I don't, I don't know the answer yet on how to get. This is why I love you because you just tell the truth. You're so, you have such a strong eightness to you, which I appreciate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you have people in your church who have a different ability, you've got people in the children's ministry and the youth group next week or tomorrow or whatever it is, call up their parents or email them and say, Hey, we just wanted to see how it's going and what we can do to better support your, your student. We're so thankful that they're here and we want them to be a full part of our community in every way. What can we do? to help support that. What do you need? I think that's a big first step. Yeah. It's not like a banner you have to create No, <laughs> or a not. new classroom. It's a conversation. It's a conversation. And, and then it's a conversation further, like with all the leaders and the staff, you know, like making it a priority as a staff, is your staff trained? Like, does your staff yeah. know how to respond to the community, to people of different abilities? Is this a conversation that's happening church-wide? It within yeah. staff and volunteers and doing those trainings, having those mm-hmm. trainings, having people come mm-hmm. in. I'll, I'll come talk to your church, asking a mom or a dad or a self-advocate, you know, to come in and talk about what their needs are and how mm-hmm. they hope church will look for, for them and how they can be better included. Tell me how a single person, man or woman, uh, can help your family. Like for me that has friends that like the lions who have two children that totally. have down syndrome, what does it look like for me? What am I not doing that I could be doing to love them really well as a single person? So we always need help. <laughs> yeah. And it's not even necessarily like, Hey, come hang out with our kids while we go on a date night. I mean, we'll take that any day of the week from anybody. Right. Anybody will take that. Yeah. I don't care what your kids are like. <laughs> they love yeah. when I do that, no matter what your kids come like. Yeah. Um, even having a conversation of like, hey, I recognize, like recognizing that when that, that, that the way that you have to navigate the world is probably a little trickier mm-hmm. and I want to be a safe space for you. And yeah. what, do you, what do I need for that? Like, how can I be a safe space so that when your kids are here, um, they can come to my house and it feels like a safe space or, nice. or I want you to know, like I can think of Mason specifically. So 
Mason loves to play with people's hair. She loves to get up all in people's space. She loves to like ask strangers their names. She loves to ask questions. And even with our real dear friends, it can feel like, okay, do I need to say that's enough? Like, is my friend uncomfortable? Do I need to step in? So if my friend said, hey, I want you to know that I absolutely love interacting with your child just as they are. And when I feel uncomfortable, I'll let, I'll let them know. Ah. Like, I think that having those conversations for me, that would be super helpful that, that I know that you're okay. Uh, Does that make sense at all? Of course. That's really good. I love that. I think it's always so helpful for you to remind me, for us to remind each other that like part of taking care of other communities and other people is more than just the parent's responsibility. Totally. That I have a role in this too. Yeah. Even if I live in a house without a disabled person or a person of a different color at this point in my life, it, this gets to be part of my calling too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even in that, like with you saying that, to say to somebody, hey, I see, I recognize that I don't have anyone in my life who has a, dis- a disability except for your kids. And I see so much value mm. in them. Can I take your daughter out for ice cream? Or, you know, like... And it's not even so much to give Josh and I or to give the parents a, a break, but it's recognizing that there's so much value in having a relationship mm-hmm. with someone who has a disability and, and saying that out loud and then being intentional and in, in creating a relationship, however mm-hmm. that looks. It is in my head and in my heart. I mean, the lions, no, I mean, I vacation with the lions, so they're like my people. But, mm-hmm. but I do think uh, it is so easy to, for people that are young and married or people that are single or people that have who are empty nesters, or yeah. who people who have able body family to go. Well, I, I would love to help, but I don't know what to do. Totally right. Yeah, and so yeah, and I love that you ask those questions. I feel like you ask those questions a lot when you're interviewing people, and I like that you constantly bring that to the forefront. It's super super helpful. Well, I um I could be doing life a whole lot better, and so every one of you who come on this show, you teach me a way that I could be doing life better. I'm like scribbling notes of like, yeah, Annie, before the show come out comes out, you need to really call Rebecca. I love it. You better have this conversation with Rebecca before she hears it between you and Heather. I love it. I love it. Perfect. Um, what is your hope for Scoot Over and Make Some Room? Who do you want to read it? So when I was writing it, there were people in my mind, like literal friends. Yeah, who- yeah. You know, do you do that when you write? Yeah, like, I actually certain- frame a picture. I have a picture framed in my writing room right now of who I'm writing the next book to. Okay. I love that. Oh, I love that. I'm going to do that. And this sounds however it sounds, but I, <laughs> I really want everyone to read this book. And, I, and it is geared more towards, towards a mom probably. Um, but I really want people, all people... And really mostly people of privilege or anyone who's mm. outside the disability community, really, to pick up this book and read it. And I hope, I, I don't know. It's a lot of things, Annie. You know, writing a book is a lot of things. Yeah, and it's a lot um, of things. <laughs> it's a lot of things. That's another podcast. Right, right. We're going to do a podcast called It's a Lot of it's Things. It's a lot of things. About. What is a lot of things? Everything is a lot of things, including writing books. <laughs> writing books when they come out. And I guess my real hope, if we are going to go smaller, is I want moms and dads to pick this book up and read it who are raising their kids, and the younger, the better. Mm. Or anyone who plans on raising a child. Mm. We're going to make Mm. ourselves better as humans, but we're going to make sure that we're raising our kids a certain way, Mm. and we're raising our kids to know how to interact with people with different abilities and to know how to 
interact with people who are different ethnicities or have yeah. to speak a different language or worship a different way. Yeah. We're going to raise our kids to know how to do that. Mm. Okay. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. And every one of us who reads it gets to partner with someone. We can find someone that we can help. Totally. I, this is a, I don't know if you have an answer to this, but you will tell us if you don't. Um, <laughs> how do you define privilege? Who's privileged? Um, so uh, privilege would be, and I said it, I talked about it a tiny bit before, um, when the systems that already exist are in your favor. Okay. And so in the United States and in a lot of the world, it is white people are very privileged. White privilege is a very real thing. Mm. Um, it's not a made up thing. If you have white skin, the systems in place work in your favor and there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you're doing about it. Right. And you didn't, you didn't cause it and you're not in trouble for it. It's just what it is. It is what it is, but we also, but it also means that there's people who it's not working for this. They are Mm. at a disadvantage, Mm. um, because of the way the systems are in place. So it's not that like in terms of white privilege, like you said, you didn't make it. You're not responsible for it. Well, no, I wouldn't say you're not responsible for it. You didn't create it. However, there is a responsibility of knowing it exists and mm-hmm. fighting against it because it means that there's all these whole other people group who are at, mm-hmm. at a disadvantage mm-hmm. for the things that are to my advantage. Right. So, and then there's privilege with ability. Again, in terms of ability, we live in a society, we live in a world that works for able-bodied neurotypical people and Mm. doesn't for people who have physical disabilities or intellectual disabilities. So that is a privilege that I have. Um, And then there is a disadvantage for the other group. Okay. And so all of us listening, we already have enough privilege that we can say, I have time to listen to a podcast today. Totally. Yep. And I have, I have the technology that allows that. Yeah. And not yeah. even to feel guilty about these things, but like you've got to be aware it. of it. And that's the whole point. Like the, the, even the title of the book, Scoot Over Makes Some Room. Be aware that this is happening. Mm-hmm. And then how do you shift your life so that you are contributing to the betterment of all humanity? And that does mean not just sitting quietly within the system. You know, like sitting in your, in your privileges quietly, that's not going to betterment all of humanity. That's great for you, mm-hmm. but it's actually quite hurtful and harmful for those who are not in, in the privileged majority. Yeah. That's really good. And you, we can listen to your podcast. We get to talk about this a lot on your podcast, right? Yeah. So my podcast is called the lucky few podcast and I co-host it with two other women who have children with down syndrome. It is down syndrome specific. Okay. Um, but I think, I think it's great. Yeah, I do too. (laughs) I think it's, yeah, a lot of people can learn, learn a lot from it. Um, but we do talk specifically about hot topics and needs and things happening in the Down syndrome community. Okay. Oh, I love that. Okay. And the book is out and we can get it anywhere you want to get books. Anywhere you want to get a book. Heather, you are like such a gift. You're so, um, this is the cheesiest word. So inspirational. I hate that word. It's so dumb. I wish I was smarter in the moment, but you just really, I want to, um, I love learning from you. That's a less cheesy way to say it. I just love learning from you. That's amazing. That's amazing to hear. Thank Thank you you so much. It means a lot to me for real. You are welcome. Okay, Heather, thank you again for being on the show. Tell me, listen, this is the last question we always have to ask because our show is called That Sounds Fun. What sounds fun to you? 
Okay, Annie, I have to tell you and everybody, so I'm in Hawaii. Currently, we I'm so sorry. You should have canceled on me so hard. <laughs> right this second. But we came to Hawaii for 24 days because we're self-employed. So we're working uh-huh. from What here. island? Yeah, we're on Maui. And we're in a little condo. We Airbnb'd our house so that we could, our house is paid, like our right. mortgage is paid. Right. And then we're renting a condo. It's like a swap. So you know, smart. like a swap. And I traveled enough last year to get to fly here almost for free for all five of us. So Right. So what sounds fun is being in Hawaii. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. What's been the best part so far? My very favorite thing is just swimming in the ocean. So our only rules, my rules when we're in Hawaii are you go to the beach every day, you swim in the ocean every day, and you watch the sunset every night. Oh, and besides that, we can do it. other things. So we wake up, we're on California time. So um, we're, we're waking up at like five, six in the morning, Hawaii time. Mm-hmm. And then by 10 o'clock, we have gone to the ocean. We've swam in the pool. We've taken a walk. Like it's, oh, it's the yes. best. Well done. Um, what made so y'all pick Maui? We honeymooned here. Okay. And then I fell in love with it right away. And after we graduated college, we actually ended up buying one-way plane tickets and renting a little sight unseen, and we lived here. We didn't know how long it would be, but it ended up just being six months. Oh, that's so cool. So today, I think we're going to go drive up towards Hana. Uh-huh. Um, we don't go all the way because it's very far. It's like and a four, so four-hour drive. Yes, but yeah. there's almost halfway there. There's this little spot where they sell, in my opinion, the world's best banana bread. Okay. So that will be our fun thing today. We're going to hop in the car. It gets real hot here in the afternoons. And windy, so you don't want to be at the beach when it's windy because it's the sand. It's just pretty rough and the water gets rough. So by like 1 o'clock, you want to be in the car or air conditioning going somewhere. Right. Right. So that's the plan. Okay. Well, I hope you have a really, really great time. Thank you. Um, Thank you for doing this. I can't wait for people to read Scoot Over and Make Room. It is a um, very helpful manifesto. It is a kind manifesto, which I always have a lot of respect for. There are ways to write books like this, and you wrote it really kindly, and so I'm grateful for that. Thank you. Thank you. appreciate it. This has been really fun. Oh, you guys, listen. Heather Avis, right? Do you just adore her or what? So smart, so kind, and just tells the truth. I love it. Enneagram 2, they'll just tell me the truth. Make sure you grab a copy of her new book, Scoot Over and Make Some Room, that just came out in June. And go back and get a copy of The Lucky Few. I really, really love it. I think she is a good voice for us to be listening to, especially as we are working really hard to see the full kingdom of God uh, across all ways and spaces and faces. And so make sure you check her out. Follow her on Instagram, Twitter, all the places, and tell her thanks for being on the show. I'm just so honored she would take time while she's on vacation. Oh my gosh, why am I such a monster, you guys? Why do y'all let me be a monster? I just didn't know. I just didn't know she was on vacation. And make sure you give her podcast a listen. What an interesting thing, for, especially for those of us. What a, what a gift for people who have Down syndrome children or family members. But what a gift for those of us who don't and how much we can learn from her podcast. So make sure you check that out as well. Hey, if you need anything else from me, I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs across the internet, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, anywhere you need me. F as in friendship. We've been, I do that one a lot, but I mean it. It really is true. We can do family too, because I love her family. Annie F. Downs on all the places. That's how you can find me if you need anything else from me. Hey, if you get a chance to rate and review the show, that would mean so much to us. It really helps get the show in front of faces of people we do not know. And we would love to have more friends around here that, you know me, but especially as we're going toward the Christmas party, you guys know, oh, if you're new around here from, from Christmas last year, if you're new in 2019, we party at Christmas. So we need everybody here because we party at Christmas. 
I think that's it for me today, friends. I hope you enjoyed this show, and we will see you back here on Thursday. You guys, you aren't even ready for this. Benjamin Watson, NFL player, Georgia Bulldog. It's my first football player from the University of Georgia, whose name I have screamed a million times from the stands, is on the show with us on Thursday. I think you guys are going to love it. Get your husbands, get your buddies, get all your friends and the gals because he's an awesome guy, awesome dad. Coming on Thursday, Benjamin Watson. So we will see you back here then. Y'all have a great week.